Hey, this is Neil Mackay, your host of a Vietnam podcast. Now, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you about one of my favorite affiliate partners, and that is Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years for everything from ordering YouTube thumbnails to keyword research, writing podcast articles, even to Canva designs and thumbnails and more. So whether you're a budding entrepreneur, a podcaster, or anyone in between, Fiverr has got you covered. It really is the go-to platform if you want to find freelancers offering a massive range of services to help you on any project. Maybe you need a stunning new logo or just a short animation, whatever you need, you can find it on Fiverr. What I love the most is how easy Fiverr makes it to connect with talented freelancers from around the world, all at prices that will fit whatever your budget is. Plus, with Fiverr's secure payment system, you can trust that your transactions are safe and secure. No dodgy people you meet on Facebook groups that disappear with your money and never give you what you want. What, that's only happened to me? As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you use the link and at no extra cost to you. As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you click my link and you buy something, all at no extra cost to you. And best of all, you will be directly supporting the making of this podcast that you're listening to for free, but it is not free to make. So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before. It's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. Welcome to another episode in season seven, seven million bikes, a Vietnam podcast. If you are listening to this or you're watching on YouTube, you will know by now we have passed 20,000 downloads, which uh, if you look at the YouTube numbers, especially of my guest today, 20,000 downloads seems minuscule, but it actually puts us in the top 10% of podcasts worldwide. So thank you so, so much to everyone who supported every guest, every listener, every every single person, Lewis Wright, my wife, Adrian Lopez, that's been involved, Leigh Wynn, we couldn't be here without you. So thank you so, so much. So if anybody has like being uncomfortable in front of me to, to give a description of somebody who's obviously black, I'll finish the sentence for you. I mean, the black guy. Seasonings are something that you're familiar with and, and it's perceived as, you know, black. You're going to get some card making some sort of unnecessary comment. And all you just want to do is get, you know, Goya beans. Like, dude, like, if you know where to get the Goya beans, can you tell me? I got a theory as to why there are so many of us here now, but that's a, that's another conversation. So well, I'll just answer your question. Give us your theory in a nutshell. Oh, oh it's the, 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 the Obama effect.
Become a member of the 7 Million Bikes community and you'll get free tickets to our events, free 7 Million Bikes face masks, episodes a day early, behind-the-scenes content and invites to special events for community members. The link is in the show description, so check it out and join today. Thank you so much to our existing community members. We look forward to seeing you again soon. This season, we've gifted sponsorship of a Vietnam podcast to two amazing charities close to our hearts, the Blue Dragon Children's Foundation in the North and Saigon Children's Charity in the South. Please check out the links in the description to learn more about these amazing organisations and donate if you can. Enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of 7 Million Bites Vietnam Podcast. You're here with Neil McKay as always. We are getting deep into season 7 now. My guest today, he has lived in Vietnam for a total of 14 years. And among many, many other things that he does, he is the owner of Caribe Jamaican Patties. He's a video post-production specialist and the admin for the Black in Saigon Facebook group. My guest today is Hayden Laurie. Hey, hey, how you doing, man? Good, how are you? You're very welcome. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, we're surviving, doing our best under the circumstances, you know? Yeah. My belly is full. The aircon still works. I got nothing <laughs> to complain about. So you're, you're the admin of the group Black in Saigon. Is that the name yeah, of it? That is correct. Well, it's something I just didn't realize, and you see it the longer I'm here, that there is quite a large, well, you're not, I was going to say it's Black Americans in Saigon. That's not true. It's just Black in Saigon. That's right. But there is a large community of Black people here. And it now, is, now, now there is. Well, now probably I've noticed the increase over the, I've been here five years, so I have no yes. like an in, increase in that. But what I find interesting, so it's obviously you guys do have a, a community because when we do have the shows like Killer Rose and J.K. Hobson, we have a lot of black people come out and watch the show, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. When it's a white guy like me on the show, there's no black people there to see me. I mean, you can't doubt. You're six foot ten. <laughs> That's your problem right there, right? <laughs> you got a few weird notes in your repertoire, you know? around the world you know and we'd all be there <laughs> so that's, that was really fun when we had to shut it I don't know where the hell that game from <laughs> but it was really fun because when you guys all come out and there was like Raphael was there and yeah, um, yeah. I'd never met him before and so really cool to get more people coming out but I think it does show as well that there obviously is this community so tell us more about that community here at Saigon. Absolutely. Well, I mean, like it kind of, I mean, it certainly isn't about me. I just put that out there first. I did not create the group. I was bequeathed it by a lovely, a lovely, smart and intelligent lady named Hillary, who's a lawyer, who is a lawyer, and she was living out here. And we had the opportunity to meet each other mere months before I, I moved to I lived in Vietnam from 2005, and at that time, you literally could count black Westerners on one hand. There were so few of us. There was a cohort at the time of Jamaicans. They've always been a cohort of Jamaicans in this town. Um, and oddly enough, they, they fix or fly airplanes, right? So yeah, it's one of those things that when I, when I got plugged into that community, I was like, oh, smack, like, this is amazing. None of you are singing or kicking a ball. This is, I'm, all, I'm, I'm here for this. 
you know? And I mean, I came here as a, as a post-production specialist myself. So it was kind of nice to not have to be around people or, or just nice to meet people who could identify with what I was experiencing at the time, which is constantly being asked, oh, do you play football or, you know, what, 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 what band do you play with? Th- things of that nature. You know what I'm saying? It, it got, t- it got tedious after a while. But fast forward 10 years, 2015 is when I, when I, was when I left Vietnam. I had a really cool roommate, brother from uh, Sacramento named Royce. And he was the one who introduced me to, to Hillary. And it, it wasn't like we were close or tight or anything, but I, I've developed a reputation for having been here the longest. So when I returned to Vietnam and she was leaving, she's like, listen, Hayden, like in terms of, of knowing how things get done around here, like you seem to be one of the most knowledgeable and, and people know you for that. Would you be interested in managing the group? So what was initially a, collect, a loose collection of her friends and acquaintances and people that she'd met in her comings and goings, it, it became something. And we've got over a thousand members in the group now. Not everybody in the group lives in Vietnam, but we're a conduit. And uh, I don't like to use the word safe space, but for lack of a better one, like it, it's what we are. And a lot of the other expat groups, as soon as you're asking a question that doesn't necessarily sit within the context of the white experience or the Western experience here in Vietnam, you catch heat. Regardless of, of, of the innocence of the question you're asking or the legitimacy or, or like, you know, if you, if you need to get, you know, seasonings or something that you're familiar with and, and it's perceived as, you know, black, you're going to get some tard making some sort of unnecessary comment. And all you just want to do is get, you know, Goya beans. Like, dude, like, if you know where to get the Goya beans, can you tell me? Because right? that's all I want to know. I don't, I don't need anything else. Right. So all of the people in the group have had experiences like that. I mean, those are the members that actually live here. So Black in Saigon has definitely become a place where you kind of go and get information and, and ask what you need to ask. And, and uh, just feel as if you're, you're just normal without any sort of having to word things correctly or not even correctly, differently so as to not to stand out. And I've made a, a, a lot of good friendships through it. And it, it, I was a, it was a big surprise to come back to Vietnam and, and just see how many of us are here. I, I got a theory as to why there are so many of us here now, but that's, a, that's another conversation. So well, I'll just answer your question. Give us your theory in a nutshell. Oh, oh it's the, 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 the Obama effect. In what sense? <laughs> oh, see, I thought you were going to say because of Donald Trump and they'd let him. No, 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 no. It's, it, it goes, it, this is previous to that. It, it, the Obama effect in that, 2008, you know, that whole presidential cycle when the world got to know who Obama was. I think to myself and another, you know, black Westerners, it was, it was a araha moment where here is this brother who doesn't fit any stereotype. He's worldly. He's well-traveled. He's lived portion of his life abroad and he he's with it he's dialed in and no matter where he goes i mean he's magnetic and people want to be within his his space and it's just him being his natural self right 
the fact that, you know, he's a Harvard grad and all of that, that was a bonus, right? But it just kind of showed the world that, look, or showed young black folks that you just needed to do what you needed to do, right? Finish school, be a good person, don't get yourself into trouble, study your books, whatever. And that the world was literally out there for you. I myself, growing up in Toronto, the immigrant family, I always was fortunate enough to go back to Trinidad where our family was from and visit. So I, I personally had a sense of that there was a greater world out there, but it's not lost on me that there's a lot of other people in our community who just didn't have that just, just because of their circumstances. So to see somebody who embodied that and, and, and step onto that international stage and get that respect, I think it made a lot of folks realize, okay, if the country that I'm in doesn't want me, I could go somewhere else and my passport will be reflected on me in a positive, and I will reflect my passport in a positive light without any of the other bull crap that comes with it that I would experience back home, right? So that's, that's what I mean by the Obama effect. He was, a, he was definitely a, a, an influence on, on people who were graduating from university at the time or in university at the time or in high school at the time. And now we're seeing those dividends being paid off by seeing these increasingly large populations of diasporic black people here in Vietnam and across Asia and, and Europe. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad. Thank you for explaining that. It's really cool to think this one guy has had such an effect on, on things that indirectly almost, right? Just by, by these things that you've described. So that, yeah, that's really amazing. So being from Toronto, do you get annoyed when people think you're American? Oh, of course. <laughs> but I'm so used to it now. Like it's, but I get it. My wife's British. There's a picture of us right there. So, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and our extended family in England, right? So every time I go back to England to visit her and her family, and just because her family's from Shrewsbury in the West Midlands, right? Uh, it's not exactly the most ethnically diverse, but, but I get a lot over there and I've kind of learned to just like use it to my advantage. Being Canadian, we grew up on a lot of British comedy. So passive aggression and <laughs> sarcasm is something I do well, so. You don't have the most Canadian accent, to be honest. I'm not saying you sound American, but you don't sound particularly Canadian, but you haven't said sorry yet. So it's always as soon as a Canadian. anything to apologize for. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're Canadian. Hang on. Hang on. 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 I have apologized. That's the dunk joke that I just made a little while ago. You can get an apology for that. Seeing I didn't even notice the story, so that's, <laughs> I'm missing the accent. Now, you said you, uh, your background, you're from Trinidad. Are you Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend? Uh, no, Nicki? absolutely not. That, that's, I don't know. <laughs> Mark, why the, the thing that gets me with that is, first of all, first of all, let's be honest. At this point in her career, she's a washed up rapper. Is she? I don't even know. I think she is. I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty. I, I, I think I'm like a pop head. I, I grew up on this stuff, but yeah, I, I think I'd like to think that I got my ear to the street. But yeah, it's <laughs> like, when was the last time she made a big hit that we all cared about? I don't think she ever made a hit I cared about personally, but yeah, <laughs> like so. <laughs> I, I like. I, there's there's other female rappers that have come along and kind of taken her crown and. I, I feel as if, as if like she's 
famous now for just saying wild shit. Mm. She went on Twitter and said some wild shit that was so wild that two, not one, but two governments had to respond to it. I saw that on the Trevor Noah show, like he was in, oh, he interviewed yeah, I did, did, and did, and, and he made a good, he made a good point that, that West Indians, particularly Trinidadians have this way of like dissing you in the most polite way. Right. What was the, and, and you know, he wasted her, she wasted her time. <laughs> what was the phrase for uh, erectile dysfunction? They said as well, you don't have a full tank of gas or what was it? Um, said? You don't, oh, that, that was the, the morning show host. With the point, no, what did he say? Oh, yeah, I got a flat tire, a flat tire, flat tire. Then was <laughs> with like, no, like, no joke. This wasn't like a satirical, it was like the morning. Traveling. Like, no, do you just say, like, yeah, yeah. this flat tire on the road, on blast for the whole world to see, like, <laughs> oh, that's a brilliant one. Yeah, no, that I, I, that's one of these things that I saw it come up on Instagram and I thought it was a joke. Like I just kind of screwed by it. I thought it was like parody or satire or something like that. And then it was like the next day it was pulling up in the news. And I was like, oh, she actually said her cousin's friend had swollen testicles from the vaccine and they didn't get married. Like every layer of it is just so insane. So ridiculous. And it's like, you're typing this. Yeah. You're typing this and you're saying this in your head to yourself. Did you not, you had to check the spelling before you hit sent. You, you could have read that to yourself and asked yourself if anybody else said that, how you would react. Well, it's fine, Send. Pose. It's also as well, like, how do you not have a social... I mean, I guess that's why people love social media, right? Because it's direct channel to celebrities. But you just think if you're that big, how many followers, like 130 million, 180 million, I don't know, something like that. You're a social media manager, like have some sort of feel safe, like the social media manager has a button on there that's like... This comes no, no, to say people's that. first before it goes to everybody. Before it goes public, you know, like some sort of software that's like, <laughs> oh, Nikki's, Nikki's on the boozy. You didn't use a natty button. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what they probably had for Trump. Though they never, for the nuclear codes, maybe they should have. Well, they did have a button, but it was for Diet Coke, right? So. Yeah, that's what I held. Yeah, that's crazy, right? But so how, so how often do you go back to Trinidad? Well, the last time I was there was in 2016. Only a lot of come on, come on. The last time I went was in 2016. Yeah, 2016. Uh, I had an uncle, one of my dear close uncles passed away and I had to go back for a funeral. But the time before that, that I was in Trinidad, I was 2011. And uh, while I was there, I met my wife. Who oh, was uh, in, what? Who was in you Turkey. Who was in Turkey at the time. So we didn't actually physically meet in person in the same place until I, we got back to Saigon. So there you have it. Well, I want to delve a bit more into that. We need to yeah, tell me explain a bit more about that. Um, okay. So are you aware of the Saigon dodgeball group? No. Okay. So for quite a while, there's been like Saigon dodgeballs. There has been a dodgeball scene, obviously with COVID and everything. Nobody knows about it, but if they back in 20, 2009, 2010, it was, those were the hey, how's for it? I'm talking like 50, 60 people show up wow. to, play, to play dodgeball. And we used to hold tournaments at uh, the gym at RMIT, right? And like a hundred people on oh. local courts and then people turning out to watch. It was a lot of fun, really, really competitive, great way to beat people. 
So, excuse me. So I've been in the group since its inception. The original creators of the group are no longer involved, but I never, I stopped playing about 2010 and I just never left the group. And uh, yeah, so from time to time stuff shows up on your, your Facebook wall, people making comments in the group is that, that they're this guy. I don't know who he was. He just went on a tirade about like getting notifications and, and stuff popping up on his, on his feed and, and letting us know that he's no longer in Vietnam. This guy getting tired of it. It's not like, like, dude, like that's a dude, did you know how Facebook works? Like right there, it's sometimes subscribed. Like mental <laughs> when you see people do this, you see it often, right? And you're like, like why are you here still? Like, yeah. So I, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here because I don't, I literally don't remember exactly verbatim what I said to the man, but late, I think maybe later that day or the next day, like the lady who would ultimately become my, my wife DM'd me and yeah. We, uh, she slid into your DMs. And- yeah. But I mean, it was just, she's just like, what you said to the dude was funny. <laughs> we started chatting just based on that. And what was unique, what, what. What pushed the conversation, what pushed us to continue talking was that was the summer of, well, that England caught on fire because all the riots, mm-hmm. it was summer 2011. So there were protests all over uh, the UK mm-hmm. and there were like riots and fires this and the other and parliament had called that emergency session and they broadcasted live on cable, cable TV in Trinidad. So I was watching it and it. Right, no freaking sense. Like I, I was just like, I've never seen such completely disconnected politicians in my life. I'm not saying that Canada has great politicians or, or America does for that matter, but to be so completely out of touch with your electorate just blew my mind. Like people are telling you why they're angry and they're talking about something completely different. Like, did you not? They played oh, you so, before so, you Did you not? Yeah. yeah it was just like. Well, because so they, they went at, they went after all those rioters with like a zealous that was just a zealot. What do you say? Well, zealousness that was just unrivaled. But all the bankers and everyone who had caused all the iron and caused all the economic mayhem went completely unpunished. But someone who stole a pair of sneakers was having you know the fucking book thrown at them. You know, no mixed up. I, I was just trying to wrap my head around like where 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 does you can go from here if there's a clear and obvious problem and the people who are tasked with solving it are on a completely different wavelength. They're like, I mean, you're familiar with the, the term out in left field, right? So like, or I'll use a cricket analogy. You're, 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 you're way I'm in the stands. I, I, I don't think, I don't think I get <laughs> All right, whatever. You're Scottish. I should. That was a stupid thing for me to even go into. We have right, a trick in Scotland. We're just not very good at it. So, okay. I don't know. Ireland is better than you guys. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> they are. They are. And I know this because I watch cricket. So, there you go. Okay. That, that being said, that being said, you know, the political class, which is out there, just completely disconnected. So, I just needed somebody to explain all of what I was seeing because I had no point of reference for it. So, that summer, my wife and I, I mean, we just had some really substantive conversations where she kind of explained what she understood. And, and she was in Saigon at the time. Well, she, both of us were living in Vietnam at the time, but it was summertime and we were both on holiday in different countries. Okay, right. so She was in Turkey and I was in Trinidad and we started talking while we were on holiday. So we didn't actually meet in person until almost a month later. 
And uh, the, the conversations went great because who, at the time, they didn't realize that my, my wife's a history teacher, a high school history teacher. Right. A lot of the feedback I was being given for the things that I was asking were quite substantive and were grounded in historical, historical facts that I knew nothing about. It wasn't a friend's cousin's opinion that she was just No, telling. it absolutely was not a friend's cousin's testicle that was giving me the answers that I saw. It was somebody who actually went to school yeah. and graduated and has good diction um, and can explain things. It was, yeah, it was, yeah. It ingratiated me to her, her, ingratiated her to me. Yeah, that's it. And uh, yeah, so I was like, all right, let's see who this person is. And here we are. That's awesome. Were you like, before you met in person, were you already kind of like flirting, so to speak? Like, or was it you met up and then you were like, oh. Oh, uh, I'd say, look, look, let's be honest. Like, you know, you start talking to some random girl called, who the hell are you? And you start going through her pictures. And, oh, oh, e? the camera likes her. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. So the attraction was already there and stuff. I guess it, ultimately it was something that blossomed. It wasn't like, uh, it wasn't kind of like, a, it wasn't Tinder-ish at all. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you would, how long have you been together then in total? If you don't include the years she spent, the years she spent in Brazil, pretty much the entirety since 2011. Yeah, so but so my wife and I had the same like ten years. We just had our ten year anniversary in July. So you will be of the same. We are of a very special generation. We are of the post or pre Tinder generation. Yeah, yeah. We got say. Well, I wouldn't say that. But <laughs> oh come on, dude, you're funny as hell. But yeah, so I, like I've never we never used a dating app. And it was just, I mean, I'm, I was with my wife when we found out about Tinder for the first time. We were in a bar in New Zealand, hanging out with some friends. And then this guy kind of mentioned it casually with other friends because they all knew what it was. And we were like, what? And then he explained it, you know, the whole, like, uh, picks up someone like within your cir- circle and blah, blah, blah. And, and you just meet up and hook it. This was when Tinder was re- really literally like, if you match with someone, you're meeting up to have sex. Like, there's no... Like, there, there was a point, like, I, I, I'd never used it myself. Yeah. You'll have to, I'm ignorant of all of this. It's like, oh, really? That's how it worked. Okay. Well, yeah. So that, yeah. I mean, we were as well. So I think it was so brand new. Like that was lit because it was Grindr was first, right? Which was the gay Tinder version of Tinder. The other way around? I, I, was it the other way around? I can't remember. I feel like Grindr was probably first. I, I remember dating. I, it's not that I've never used a dating app. I mean, in Toronto before moving here, I, you know. I did use, you know, I had memberships in some of those the websites for that. And, well, because there was heaps. It wasn't like OK Cupid and Match and yeah, and I, all I, there was. I to remember the name of the one that I used. To yeah, yeah. You don't remember, but like when I when I left Toronto, I was just kind of like, all right, I don't need to do that anymore. There's actually yeah, go out and meet people. And I, I, you and I come from a generation where nightclubs had dance floors. It wasn't all like. Bottle service. And I was going to say, what is it now? I've not been in a nightclub in a very long time. Being in a place where now it's just like, all, it's all VIP and bottle service and dancing in a semi-circle with all your friends and not actually. Oh, uh, really? Right? Like, yeah. I 
I remember like if you went to a club, you're actually having to talk to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You had to have some sort of ability to strike up conversation or dress well or smell good or dance well or something. You know, you had to, you had to peacock a little bit somehow or the other, <laughs> right? You had to learn to be somewhat adept at it or you got no pussy. <laughs> right? But now it's just like, it's mentally. Yeah, and it's like, oh, you like me too? I like you too. Okay, let's do this. this thing. I, I guess that's what it like. It's like, yeah, I have no first-hand experience with it, but yeah, it's it's just it's just weird. But we also we all a very like so we're all a generation as well. So I think you're about the same age as me. You would have grown up in your early years without the internet, right? Like we right. know what it was like. So we are like, it's pretty mind blowing when you think. So I'm 39 now. How old are you again? I'm 46. 46. You look younger than me. No, that's uh, great. The beard didn't give it away, right? No, no. You're, you're, you're trying to you be fine, but I see right through you. Well, yeah. So, like, we're like the last like generation to grow up without the internet. Like, that's yeah. mind blowing. Do you know what? I had a student one time, right? The Wi Fi wasn't working on my laptop in the classroom. And so I was like, well, I'll just plug it in through the, the LAN cable, right? And he was a smart kid. He made robotics. He went into robotics competitions in like other countries. So he was not like okay. a dumb kid at all. He could not understand what I meant by I was plugging in the internet. And he's like, but the internet is like, what do you mean you're plugging it in? It's just like, it's Wi-Fi. And I was like, yeah, but where do you think the Wi-Fi comes from? And he's like, from. well, I don't know. Like, it's just, you know what I mean? And he was so good. And I've, you know, plugged in the telephone like like jesus has blessed us yeah so that was a big eye opener to me as well like this kid not only did he he's only ever grown up with the internet he he would have been about 10 or 12 at the time which was a few years ago he'd only ever grown up with wi-fi and automatically your devices are all instantly logged on to everything you know Uh, my my having kids right now it, it blows my mind that they're growing up not really knowing the world without the technology, the Star Trek technology that we had today. And it's Star Trek technology. That's a good way it to is. put it. Yeah. It's it meant is. to accept men. It's awful. It's insane. What we're doing right now. Yeah. QR codes, man. That's some freaking tricorder shit. Like, let's be honest. But my, my favorite thing is watching my, my, because my kids don't like television. They don't like the TV. Like, it's, it's weird. Like if it's a, if it's a tablet, they're all about that. I'm like, I remember how TVs need to be small. And I, I, I got a 60 inch television in that house. Right. And it's actually, to me, it's still too small. It needs to be bigger. I'm not satisfied until it gets to hundred hundred centimeters or hundred inches rather. And here comes these kids and they're not interested in the freaking 4k. They want the tablet. Yeah. And when I turn on the TV, there comes my little one walks up to the thing. And starts freaking swiping the screen. I'm like, no, it's like that way. It's like, oh, it's like the team. Oh, it's like, all right, all right, I, I, I get it. I mean, this is how far we've come now, right? So I can only imagine what the world is going to be like in another 30 years. I probably won't be alive to see it, but it'll probably be more amazing than it is now. And they'll look back onto these days and be like, oh, yeah, I'm old school. I'm like, dude, why, why, what's that, you know? So not not only as you mentioned is my wife amazing, she comes to every show. She also listens to every podcast and she's about to hate me for what I'm about to tell you. But what you just said there 
about your kid and the TV. I remember one time this a few years ago, I was doing something on my MacBook and she'd been on her phone, you know, and you, you swipe your phone and she came over to my Mac, MacBook, I asked her for some help and she went up to the screen and she tried to flip the screen. <laughs> and I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, it's not oh, the screen, is it? That's it. <laughs> I was like, aren't you, aren't you married to me? Like, you know we don't got money for that shit, right? <laughs> I think I've maybe done it myself once as well. I think I do remember at one point going to like flick the screen on the laptop and yeah. be like, because you're just so used to it on your phone. But yeah, no, we live, we live in this, we're of a generation of living without the internet growing up and then not using dating apps. It's, we're in a very small niche of, of the world, you know? Well, it's, it's, and I don't know, I, I feel sorry for these kids because if aliens ever come and drop, you know, one of those EMPs on the planet and like shuts down all electricity, they're going to lose their shit. My kids sit down at the table and you take the tablets away. They don't know what to do. And you literally don't like what we got to talk to each other. Yeah. Motherfucker, we got to talk. How was your day? <laughs> What did you do today? What did you learn? What did you watch on TV? Like, talk to me about something, right? And you know what? Just shut up and eat. It's like, is it so? As a parent, is that difficult now? I mean, not that you would be able to compare it because you weren't a parent in the past, but as a parent now, well, uh, my first, my eldest needs to pick a year, right? And to be honest with you, we never really wanted to get in, into the whole habit of. of eating with a device in front of him, but they turn into zombies when you do that and they just open their mouth and you can shovel whatever the hell you want into there and they'll consume their dinner with little, little fuss and you can go on about your day without losing a blood vessel. First thing, a blood vessel. So it, it, it was something that we started out of convenience. And then with the second one coming along, of course he sees his older brother doing it. He wants to do it. And it got to the point where, what, two months ago, I ended up going by, yeah, about a month ago, I bought him a, a Kindle Fire because they were starting to fight over the one tablet that they had, right? My, my eldest can, he's always been able to, like, he was two. You could take him to the cinema and he would sit there and watch the whole movie at two. Wow. He lo- absolutely loves going to the cinema. Absolutely loves it. My youngest... I shouldn't have let, I should not have let him let him watch Blippy, man. That kid has a ten second attention span. He'll he'll watch something for like 15, 30 seconds. All right, next. Next. And like it's like watching somebody with Tourette's watch television. It's bizarre. Right? He has no patience for anything. So maybe maybe it'll change over time. But even he who like a second, that is, he's a good eater. None of the problems that I had had were our eldest. Um but if you don't give him you like the tablet now, he'll refuse to eat until you get it. Right? He's figured it out. Yeah. Got get some of a hole there then. <laughs> yeah. He, he doesn't understand you can't swipe the TV screen, but he figured that. <laughs> <laughs> Both Saigon Children's Charity and Blue Dragon have emergency COVID appeals. The outbreak of the Delta variant is wreaking havoc on vulnerable communities across Vietnam. Families are struggling to survive. They need your help, especially impoverished children. You can sponsor a COVID backpack now with Saigon Children's Charity containing food staples, 
hygiene necessities, books and games to a child in COVID-affected areas in Vietnam so that they know they are taken care of physically and mentally. Or in the north, you can donate an emergency food pack through Blue Dragon. It contains fruit and vegetables, rice and staples to keep children and families going. Food will be bought locally and will include a mix of fresh food and longer lasting items. For families who are hard to reach, your donation will provide a cash grant to buy food at the local market. The links to donate are in the description and if you're in a position to, please donate whatever you can. Thanks. Now, I wanted to ask you about, I saw you on Nadis. Is a show, Nam Den's show oh, on, an, yes. on YouTube. So he was a previous guest on here, I think season five. An unbelievable, really interesting interview. And and then I, as soon as that show came up and I saw it, it was you and JK together. Yes. JK has been a previous guest. So now all three of you have been on, on the show. And I don't watch much YouTube and I certainly don't watch much long form on YouTube, but that was one episode. I actually sat and watched the whole thing because I messaged you, didn't I remember during the Yeah, episode. you did You did message me and say, I'm sorry, you need this. I'm yeah. I this thing. I was like, oh my God, just another person that's seen it. <laughs> so it was great. And so, so Namden, he's kind of changed tack a little bit like recently and he's doing a more ex- exploration of his African roots and things like that. And I haven't watched much more to be honest because I'm just not a big YouTuber. It's crazy because there's just so much content. It's that Ronnie Che. Have you seen his like stand up bit and he's just like oh my god so much content it's i mean i'm part of it i'm producing it, right and there's just so much out there and i would love to watch it all i barely have time to do anything never mind i'm too busy almost making my own content i barely have any time to watch anyone else's and there's so much i would love to watch and i don't but my point is i did make the effort to watch that one now what i wanted to ask you about was i found it really interesting you obviously, and you've talked about it on the show, you took umbrage at one of the lines in, in his song. <laughs> and I think that's why you were on, right? Pretty much. It wasn't just me. It was JK as well. Suffice it to say, it, it's, this all circles back to Black and Saigon. From time, from time to time, there will be seismic shifts or little eruptions within the group. It's usually a very tame place. To be honest, we don't do too much offline group activities. We, we've, we've had a couple of events that have been well attended, but as a general rule, nobody really has taken up the mantle of being like the social butterfly. So there isn't a whole lot that happens offline that's representative of the group. But from time to time within the group, somebody will post something or somebody will make a comment and all hell kind of breaks loose. So he... That is, that is, posted one of his videos, which he was regularly doing on the, and he's, he's a bit of a celebrity in our group as well, because he can do something that's, that's amazing. A genius. He could speak actual Vietnamese <laughs> and none of us can speak as well as him. Everybody thinks I'm, I'm pretty good, but I'm not on his level at all. I'm not even close, but you know, the fact that he posted that music video and what it was about. Well, let's be clear. So for people that are listening, don't know what we're talking about. And I think Nadis talked about this song when he was on this show, but he was literally like releasing it the next day. Yeah. And so, and correct me if I'm wrong. So the song was basically about being a black man in Vietnam. Vietnam, yes. And he took 
a, a Vietnamese song, which was quite new, like a, a modern song, right? Yeah. And, and then the reworked the lyrics. But do you want to explain? I, I my memory well, right, was a bit. The, do you want to explain it more? The, and then you can the explain what the line was that you were uh, that you yeah. took, that not just you but others took offense to. Because when um, I watched that episode with you, I was like, "Ooh, yeah, that, I could see why you would," <laughs> and not not be so, happy with that. What one of the one of the lines was that you know my skin may be black but my heart is white. I think was the, the, I'm paraphrasing here. I think that was what it was. And I bet was it the best rap song? Nah, not really. But it came from a good place, and and he is his his content is supposed to be relatable and and funny and not, not complex at all. Right. So for him to delve into this particular type of subject matter was, was a little bit out of his comfort zone or not that I shouldn't say that I shouldn't put it that way, because then it cast, it cast it in a negative light. It was just a little different than what he yeah. normally does. Different right? track. It was just, it wasn't supposed to be like, ha ha funny. Look at mm-hmm. black people to speak Vietnamese funny. It was, it was supposed to be exposing Vietnamese people to a different truth. Like there's other people here who don't like, look like you, but who are Vietnamese because his son was in the video and his son was rapping in it and stuff. So it all came from a very positive place. It was a bit corny, but again, it was coming from a positive place. But then when he said that line, it was kind of like the record scratching. It was like, huh? Oh, okay. Because he said it in Vietnamese, right? But it had the subtitles. Subtitles, so you could and you could understand it anyway. Precisely. So, yeah, I, I both myself and J.K. didn't have particularly nice things to say about it. But now, being now, and he's a genius. He's he's not a stupid guy. He colluded with a couple of people in the group to get J.K. and I on his his show to be interviewed. And so we, we, it was as, as Appa on, on, uh, Kim's convenience with Snae that they, you know, they, they came up with a sneak attack because <laughs> we had no idea. We were, we thought we were just meeting up with dude to like, oh, okay. You didn't know you were going to do a show. Yeah. We wrapped up to this building and went inside and it was like, oh, well, okay. It's a studio. There's cameras here. Oh, JK and I are like, okay, look, we said it. You got to own it. Right? So what, if you want to share, because I don't know what, what was it that you said? Or... No, well, it, it wasn't that we pumped the guy off. It was just like, okay, that's corny. Like how that, that goes down like a lead balloon in a room full of black people. It just, yeah. like, it casts being black in a negative light. And it just, there's nothing wrong with the way we look. There's mm. nothing wrong with having black skin at all. Right. We shouldn't have to qu- quantify it or qualify it by saying, but my heart is. Who cares? Like, that has nothing to do with anything, right? So I, yeah, our language might have been a little saltier than that. And don't ask me to, to say exactly. Yeah, that. you know, that's a, so I'm honest with you. I don't even remember. And it wasn't like we were cussing him and saying this guy's dumb or anything, yeah, anything yeah. like that. But it did foment a conversation and a debate within the group. And coming out of it, like another mutual friend of ours, have you, have you interviewed Turner yet? No, no, I don't know. DJ Turner, you got it. Okay. You know, JK's got another podcasting YouTube thing that he does. We I've seen it pop up. Yeah. We out here. His co-host. Right. That's a guy that you need to get on your podcast, bro. Is he here in Vietnam? Yeah. Yeah. He's here. He's here. He's one of my best friends. So Turner basically 
he said, he said it straight. He's like, you got to remember who his audience is, right? This, he didn't make this for you and I. He made this for Vietnamese, right? So you got to understand who, who the message is for, who, who's supposed to be receiving it and how they understand things. Was it the most elegant way of doing it? No, but he's trying to do something positive and you really, you can't really dog the guy for it. And that pretty much ended the debate. Like he just came in there and just said that and everybody's like, yeah, you're right. And that was about it, right? So yeah. what was good about that was that when we did get sneak attacked, <laughs> we, we were already in that mindset that, okay, we said something, it, you were a bit with it but we even had to kind of take stock of, of of what we said and change our our stance a little bit so it was really ultimately a really good conversation yeah and you know i thought so i enjoyed that it, it, it resulted at the up until that point i'd actually never met now i didn't we weren't friends and now i can say that we are like we do chat and hang out and i got to know him through that right so yeah there's your, there's your answer. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, the, so what I um, enjoyed about that as well, from my point of view, so one as well, which is, uh, it's almost like obvious and it's self-evident, but it's almost not as well. And you guys talked about it, is black people aren't a monolith and he's Nigerian, you're Trinidadian, JK's like Puerto Rican. Yeah. Like, but we, we have this label of, Black people, and so you're talking about your group. I can just imagine those factions, absolutely. maybe not warring factions, but you know, like that. There is, but absolutely is. There absolutely is because, like, the, and this is this isn't the negative thing. I, mean, I I feel like a lot of white folks don't really think about this because it, it, whiteness is the de facto normal. Mm. So anytime we're talking about Americans. Really and truly, they're talking about white Americans. They don't say white Americans. They just say Americans. Same with British. When we talk about the Brits, like they're not talking about, you know, the AME people. They, they, they aren't. Right? And even in Canada, we, we experience the same thing. So oftentimes when we start talking about differences in the way we might see things politically or culturally, you get confusion on the part of others. Others like, well, look, I'm, I'm even in the Caribbean. I'm gonna back it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Vietnam. Bring up China in any context to a Vietnamese person, and they are not likely to say nice things. And they're their neighbor. So a lot of folks outside of this region, if you were to take a Chinese person and put them right next to a Vietnamese person. They couldn't tell the difference. If they started talking, they couldn't tell the difference, right? So far be it for me to start talking about the differences between Trinidadians and Jamaicans or the differences between Nigerians and South Africans, right? Unless you are from those places or have some affinity for understanding those cultures, the distinctions are not necessarily easy to make for the uninformed, right? But they're front and center in our group. It's, it's black in Saigon. We are fundamentally a diasporic group. So um, we have one gentleman who's a writer and he writes for a, a publication in, he writes in French for a publication in Africa. And he often posts the, his writings. And I think a lot of people in the group 
think that the guy's just like sharing random stuff about Africa. Cause one of the rule, the group's group rules is like, you don't post stuff that isn't relevant to living here. Right. So the, his posts are constantly getting like flagged for like, this is inappropriate. Like hit me up and like, take this down. This is not about Vietnam. It's like the dude actually lives here and he's posting his work. He's sharing himself with you. Right. So no, I'm not going to take it down. Right. But again, it's a fine example of, you know, people who are, are, you know, outside of the African context who don't get that, you know, and they're black themselves. Go figure. Right. So. It's, it's an interesting dynamic in the group, it, it, but it's all, it's all positive for the most part. And it, we've helped a lot of people. Let me just put it that way, because there's often a lot of folks that come to the group having had some really, really, really negative experiences on, on some of the, and I'm not going to name them, but popular Facebook groups that both of us belong to mm-hmm. that are supposed to be there to help everyone and really, in, to be blunt about it, only help the white folks. Because if it doesn't matter if you're where you're from, if you're not white and you just color up the side of the line just a little bit and bring up something that just might be mm, that much more related to your context than the white context, that's when the nails come out, the, the fangs come out, and the claws come out. And half the time, people just want to know where to get the Goya beans. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. But I mean, these Facebook groups are just a bit of a cesspit. Anyway, I mean, even yesterday... Some poor guy posted on this expat group that he had this like dizziness that had been lasting for a while and did anyone have any advice? And I actually have, well, I still suffer from that and I've suffered from it in the past. So I was like, oh, sweet. I'll like comment and help him. The top comment was some guy like, bro, why are you commenting on Facebook? Get yourself to a doctor. What's wrong with you? And you're like, I mean, well, it's the expat in Saigon group. It's not that easy here to just be like, I'm just going to go to the local doctor. Like I've, yeah, like my time here, I'm like, a guy where to get to the doctor or where he could go. Like, yeah. I'm sure you've put- done the same as well. There's times where I've yeah. not gone to the doctor because I'm like, I don't really know how I'm going to explain this. Like, even if they speak English, yeah. I still don't really know. Like, you know, I've got some weird pain in my arm here and I don't really know what it is. And like, and you know, some of the healthcare here is not the best. And so you know that like, oh, I'm going to ask him this thing and then he's going to, and I, I slipped a disc in my back and I went to the doctor and they told me to go home. And when I went to the, the American chiropractic clinic, the first thing the doctor there said was, where's your MRI? And I was like, oh, I don't have one. He's like, what the fuck? Why have you not got an MRI? I'm pretty sure you've got a slip disc. Go and get an MRI and then come back. So like, you know, these things happen. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And as so those kind of comments from other people are absolutely unhelpful, right? Rather than yell at the person for having asked the question, help, help them solve their problem. Uh, someone put on the, that comment was like, dude, just keep scrolling. Why, why have you even responded? Like if you... But anyway, the other thing I want to go back to and touch on in your episode, so that was really interesting to me because as a, a white guy, obviously, and I'm from Scotland where we are pretty much all the bloody same. The thing is interesting though, just a quick aside, the last time I went back to Scotland, it's become really diverse and partly because of immigration and accepting of refugees and things like that. So I grew up, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, so I won't go into detail, but 99% white people, maybe a couple of Indian families or Pakistani but that was the most part all white. When I went back, it was incredible the amount of mixed race couples I saw just in, in the city center or in mm-hmm. the bus with mixed race children. 
And because when I grew up, we were starting to have an influx of refugees from other countries and people of color moving there. But then I left, like I left, I've been gone like you know, mostly almost 20 years, just been back a little bit. But this was the first time I'd gone back and noticed like, oh, it's, and I don't know if you've heard about in Glasgow, we're called Glaswegians. Yes. Yes. Which is, and you can shorten that for Ouija. And they've that now did. gotten, yeah. So Ouija is someone from Glasgow and this makes me really proud. We're really pro refugee in Glasgow, very accepting of refugees. Not everyone, of course, but there's that big, big uh, support for them. They call them refugees. <laughs> That's a term. It's like a term of, really a term of endeavor. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a thing. I've seen like people with posters, like you're, you're a refugee now, like as a term of endearment, not as a slight at all. It's like, you are one of us. Which is interesting because, you know, my wife and I have had conversations about like, if you move back to UK, where, where I would I'd be comfortable living. And mm-hmm. every time I visit, I make a, because I have friends who are from various parts of, of, of the island. I just called your country an island. How about yeah. that? That's pretty awesome. Nobody ever does that, do they? <laughs> I'm going to do that more often. As an island. Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland may not be too happy. Touche, but I'm going to do it anyway. I want to fireworks on it. We'll kick off. But I, I have friends all over the place. And yeah. anytime I visit, I make a point of like taking a weekend, saying goodbye to my family. I'm either taking the car or, or, um, or buying an overpriced train ticket <laughs> and going to visit somebody in whatever part of the country. And, you know, I've, I've seen a fair bit of the place now. And I've always said to my, my wife, like, oh, man, I live in Scotland. And she's like, adamant, like, no, no, <laughs> hell no. And it isn't me she's worried about. <laughs> Not me she's worried about. Not <laughs> preservation Because apparently Scots don't like Englishmen. Who knew? Who knew? Hey, you know what? She's probably right there. You will not have a problem. She might. <laughs> Do you know how amazing Scotland is, though? And I obviously haven't, as I said, I haven't lived there for 20 years, but we are, it is an awesome country. We have free prescriptions, which you compare to like the US, obviously, free prescriptions, yeah. all sanitary products, or we don't call them that anymore, do we? Women's hygiene products. Well, what okay, yeah, yeah. What's the kind of sanitary pads? No, but they changed that because that's like a, I read that. Sanitary napkins? No, because like, if you're calling it sanitary, you're making it seem like it's dirty when it's just like a. Oh, okay. They're changing like that kind of connotation of it. That was another. Women's products. They're they're for free now as well. Okay. Because that's kind of like, you know, a kind of thing now. It's like a tax on the women if they have to pay for something that they have to use. So that's free. The spotlight now. So we do a lot of cool things as well on the refugee thing. But one thing, so I want to just go back and then we're going to finish up with the last questions. One of the, the last things about that video, which I, I personally, as a white person, found very helpful, was that you said that it's okay to describe someone as black. Why, why wouldn't you? Because, but see, to hear you say it made me, because I, that, that is, the person you kind of described is like, that would be yeah. me. I'm like, do I, do I? Can I call them black? Do they see like you? When watching you say it, that made me feel like okay. Then I, I, I have no hesitation when you're talking about using it as an adjective to describe someone. The black guy, the black guy. Like, for me, it was things I feel like 
we're living in this age. I, I, I can't, I don't like using certain, certain terminology because I find like they're catchphrases that really generally have very little meaning. One of which is, is, is woke culture. Like I, I usually think it's a really dumb term, right? But we are living in a time where people, I would say, are hypersensitive. And maybe for good reason. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and debate why or why people shouldn't be hypersensitive. But it's better than not being sensitive. Way better, right? So if anybody has, like, <laughs> being uncomfortable in front of me to, to give a description of somebody who's obviously Black, I'll finish the sentence for you. I mean, the Black guy? <laughs> Because I don't know if I'm trying to think back to the interview, if I even mentioned it, but one of the things that, that irks me as well is like people, I don't see color. Oh, we're fucking blind. Yeah, uh, uh, color blind. Do you know what that actually means? You can't tell if the light's green or red, dude. Like you can get in car accidents. Nobody wants yeah, that. That makes All right? sense. When it, when it, it makes no sense. I mean, especially when we're doing just simple basic stuff is like you know who who robbed this store it was the chinese guy where was the white guy where's the black guy right and and the cops could go go out and go look for the person right give an accurate description of, of what the place or or even if you're just trying to you know find somebody in a crowd or what happened you know i feel like there's just certain things that you don't have to complicate unnecessarily i think it's it's obvious to you but as someone who doesn't want to offend someone and it what uh was uh, up until I heard this interview, I would have been unsure of to use that and how to say it properly. And then after I watched that, I was like, okay, I feel more confident now to be like, oh yeah, the black guy, you know, like without with knowing not that you speak to every black person on earth. But when I heard and Jakey and Nam talk about that, I was like, okay, so I don't need to worry about like like I was the guy you talked about, like oh the the guy over there that's the the, the tall guy, and you're like yeah the black guy, yeah the that guy. That that was like so in this current lockdown situation, if you could go jump on your bike right now, where would you go? If if I if, if family wasn't an issue, I would do the one thing that in 14 years of living here I've never done, and that's drive to Hanoi. Okay, so people aren't understanding this question every episode. I need to make it clearer. I mean in the context of we're in a lockdown. We're not even allowed to leave our house. Oh. If you could just jump on your bike right now and go somewhere. Where the fuck would I go? Everything's closed, dude. <laughs> well, I mean, just pretend lockdown finished now. Bang, you can jump on your bike. Where would you go? Well, if lockdown is finished and I could go anywhere and I didn't have to take my kids and my family with you, I just told you I would drive to Hanoi because I've never done it. <laughs> and I would invite you because, you know, in case I got a flat tire, I'd like to have company in case something happened. So that's yeah. way too, way too far on a bike. I'd be going, I'd be going, ah, uh, okay. I'd be going to the other side at Taudien or something like that. I'd be going to see uh, the sun, the sunset. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I, it, it, I don't see perversely enjoy doing driving the hems of District Eight at Christmas time. No, if you've never done it. Do it next Christmas, if we can. Yeah, if we're allowed out. They, the, it, it, there's a lot of Catholic churches in that district. A lot, like a freakishly high number of Catholic churches. And apparently that's the district where all the Catholic Vietnamese people live. And they take Christmas very, very seriously. Funyan's a bit like that. There's a couple of little hems in Funyan at Christmas with like lights up. Oh, yeah, like... You just go through yeah, the hands yeah, yeah. and you can't cool. see the sky. It's just yeah, yeah, I've seen lights and 
and ever more inventive ways of, of, of smashing Santa Claus and Jesus together. <laughs> well, talking about lockdown, so what has been the most challenging thing about this or any lockdown that you've ever been in? Uh, this is going to sound wrong. I'm sorry. I want to apologize for now. It really hasn't been that problematic. For me. Um, and, I, and the reason being is, is multitudinous in, the, in that one, I'm very cognizant of the fact that I'm a foreigner. My, my lifestyle here affords me a level of comfort and safety that the average Vietnamese person doesn't have. And if there's anything that I've had difficulty with is, is just knowing that within a five minute drive where I live, I could see the complete opposite. Someone who's suffering really, really, really badly. And that, that that's had an effect on me. I've, I've seen video that you might've as well. Some of those videos have floated around with like, there's this pregnant lady who died at a factory in Binyong and it was so cruelly unceremonious in the way her, she was dealt with and her body was dealt with. And there was apparently a near riot and the police managed to show up with the swiftness to put down the riot. And I'm like, well, why could the ambulance show up just as quickly the day before to get her a fucking hospital? You know, seeing footage of, of people essentially rioting for food. Seeing photographs of some of the field hospitals where they've got thousands and thousands of people just convalescing in beds. That, that's been difficult for me. Just to know that here I am in this really nice apartment with every amenity I could possibly have. Other people who can't, they haven't been able to get food delivered to their house yet. I can go downstairs, cross the street over to Lexington and walk into to Kmart and do groceries. You know, that as somebody who grew up in, in, in a poor neighborhood to immigrant families, I'm sensitive to it because it, it's reflective of my upbringing and I know what it feels like to be on that side of things. So that to me, honestly, has been the hardest in terms of just like surviving through a day and this, that, and the other, like I could go up on my roof and get sunshine and fighting too. You know what I'm saying? That's good though. Cause I, we don't have that. Like, right. You're going to get people who have rooftop access on balconies is pretty good. But let me, let me follow up on what you said there. If you made me a bit emotional and I'm almost tearing up because I feel 100% the exact same as you. So yeah, I mean, as challenges as like, as any kind of expat has, but nothing that's that difficult. Same as you, we've got full fridge, got water, got my wife and my dog with me. So nothing really to complain about. And I've got- Yeah, and if we get tired of it, we could leave. We could leave. Like we all, like, I, I think it's pretty fair to say that damn near half your friends have left already. Yeah, yeah. Oh, half, half mine have already left already. How nice. Now, yeah, nice. I've thought about that as well, how some people complain and then they just leave and it's kind of like, well, at least you have that opportunity and a lot of other people- exactly. We don't have the opportunity to leave, but that's because we have a dog and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, but so last Friday was, I woke up, got my computer, had quite a lot of work to do. And I read this article on The Guardian in the UK about Vietnam and about how people were starving, not getting food, weren't getting food. I, I think I read that. I read that yesterday. Yeah, that's a, a couple of weeks ago. And... I was in tears, like literally in tears. I, I'm same as you. I, this has not been the most difficult thing for me. And just like what you said as well, because we live in a similar area, knowing that there's people just five minutes down the road. And I'm not from like a super poor background. We always had food on the table, but I'm 
but I didn't have, we didn't have much money growing up as a family, but I don't know if that's what's made me feel like this, but I can, I'm empathetic to that as well. So I was literally in tears. I was talking to my wife came out of a class and she's like, what's wrong? And I'm sure of the article. And I felt so helpless as well. And, and so lucky. So I immediately like started just donating money to some of the charities that I've already been donating to. I was like, yeah, we need to give them more and like just donated like to three or four different organizations. Like I was like, that's all I can do. Like I can't go mm-hmm. give people food. I can't, and I trust these organizations. So I did that, made me feel a bit better, but I was pretty, I was in and out of tears all day. Mm-hmm. And then I'm trying not to tear you up right now. Then in the afternoon, my best friend, I've known him since I was five years old. I was best man at his wedding. Uh, he messaged me and he's like, hey, uh, me and the wife and the kid have all been just tested positive for COVID. So I was just like fucking bawling again. I was like, tears. I've, I've had a friend here. I'm not going to name names. Like, mm. I'm not going to call him out his name on, on, in public. But yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's a foreigner. He's married to a local, lovely local lady. And they've got, got some kids and he's got a family member back home living with him. And, you know. Just, just taking that family member to go get their shot that they ultimately didn't get because some arbitrary Mandarin decided, ah, we're not going to give any shots to foreigners. Despite the fact that we sent you a message to come here, we're not going to give you that. And they went home with the virus Fuck. and their whole family got sick. Yeah. You know? So I, I think at this point we've all got, we've all got experiences that hit close to home so yeah i totally emulate i i I, and it also doesn't help as well that you know we're dealing with that here and just trying to stay sane here and do what we can just kind of like find some balance in our lives and then i don't know what it's like where you're from or where i'm from you got people protesting in front of hospitals and blocking ambulances and getting in and out all because they don't want to take a vaccine that we over here would love to have. Oh, it's mind-blowing. I don't think that's too much of a problem in Scotland, but I obviously obviously see it around the world. But it's, like you said, you've got to find that balance. And even when I, so I did my comedy show on the weekend and uh, it was my, my biggest show I've ever done, Headline Act, and 50 minutes of comedy with 40 people from around the world, which was just amazing. And, uh, and I, I kind of finished with that and I was like, and, I, and it was true what I said. So, I, you know, I did that thing where you... You know, you know what comedians do when you see a, a, a special, they, they bring the kind of atmosphere down, they get kind of serious, whatever the topic is, whether it's the LGBTQ issues or race issues, whatever it is personal to them. So I brought it down on purpose and I was like, you know, it's a tough time. And But this part is true. As a comedian, I'm always putting out content on Facebook, trying to make people laugh. I'm putting on comedy shows and I've asked myself like, should I be doing that? Like, should I be trying to make people laugh right now? And anytime I do put something on trying to make sure like I'm not being insensitive to the fact that people are dying and people are sick. So I try not to make complain about not getting stuff delivered and things like this. Like I actually make fun of the people like I did in the beginning of this who make a big deal about not being able to get a fucking cake for their pet delivered. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, but there's balance to everything. But what I say is kind of come out of that saying, the ultimate reason why I do continue to do it is because we do need to find balance and laughter and joy. And when I talked to my friend who runs one of these charities, he said he's having trouble with his staff because they're obviously going through all the stresses that we are and the demotivation of being locked up and in lockdown and, you know, all the normal stresses because we're all going through a crazy, crazy time. 
Mm-hmm. But then because they're on the front line and they're seeing and helping these people who are really struggling, they're not taking the time for themselves because they feel like they don't deserve it. Deserve it, right? And he has to kind of tell them what we're talking about is like, no, just because they're having a hard time doesn't mean that you're not having a hard time as well, because that's what we're all going through. So don't so he has the challenge of trying to keep his staff like, you know, that balance, like you said. Well, I I, I would have to agree with you. I I mean I I I'm not a comedian, although Jay King has tried like the Dickens and you have too, to get me up on stage. <laughs> but what I have been able to do is, is, is make beef patties, Jamaican patties. And one of the reasons I also said that, you know, I haven't, it hasn't hit me as hard as other people up until Directive 16 plus came in, I was able to get to my kitchen. That was kind of like my space when things kind of got a bit much. At least I could go there and I can unload some of that negativity and I, and I have a positive way to channel it, right? COVID has actually been, and I hate, I hate to say it because it sounds so wrong, but COVID has actually been good for my business. You know, not only- oh, me, me too as well. I've spent, I've worked my butt off to turn 7 million bikes into something that I want it to be. So yeah, I'm the same as well. And I almost feel guilty about that. It's like, yeah, I've used this time to like make my make business. Something. Yeah, make something. Because that, but that's the only thing that's kept me sane is because I realized that like, I just need to be busy. Like I just need to, the minute I wake up, I'm doing something to the minute I go to sleep. Because as soon as I stop being busy is when I start to think about other people, how bad the situation is, even for myself. And then that's when it's like, no, I just need to keep on working. And every, I, I, I totally see you, man. And, and just getting that feedback from people, like I've lost count now of how many messages that I've gotten from folks saying, like, thank you so much for these patties. You know, like COVID sucks or the long out sucks, but this, these patties, this box of patties has written some you know, a little bit of joy, you know, it takes the whole more yeah, yeah. for something that, you know, they can order and actually get because all the other shops are closed, you know, and I just, by the virtue of selling frozen products, is somehow <laughs> slipped under the radar. Like it, my product is allowed to be delivered. Right. And it's like, all right, it makes it all worthwhile. You know, that, that, yeah, I'm in sweating in the kitchen making this stuff, when I get one of those messages, it makes it all worthwhile. And it's like, all right, at least there's it's some doing, this is doing somebody somewhere, some good, and it's getting them through their day. I mean, the money they pay me is nice. I'm not going to complain about that, but it's bigger than that. It really is. No, absolutely. I mean, I get the same types of messages. The biggest one is, well, someone said, oh, go coming to the quiz every Tuesday night. It's like going to the pub and hanging out with my mates. And I get some messages, you know, you know I've had such a fun night, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, same thing. Some of my events are free, but some of them are paid for. So it's like I'm trying to make a, a living out of it. But that's not like the main thing of it. The main thing is, you know, bringing people together, the community, providing entertainment. But sometimes it's hard to like, should I be doing this right now? Like, you know, like. No, you should be. Because here, what, bro? In the not too distant future, as, as, as hard as this all feels right now that we're going through this and it seems never ending. It's. We're, we're seeing some light at the top. Yeah, no, no. I just said that to Adrian earlier before we started. I said, I think we're past the worst of it now. We're, the cases today went down dramatically. Did you see that? I haven't seen the numbers yet. Like eight, eight, and a, eight and a half thousand down from like 11 yesterday. Massive. Yeah, that's fantastic. And what that means is that when this 
things open back up. We're going to need all the, you mean, we got to follow the breadcrumbs that you laid this entire time because we're going to need those, those, those opportunities to get back together and laugh and enjoy each other's company and drink together. Yeah, that's been part of the planet. That communication, that, that one-on-one connection that I think if nothing else, COVID has really allowed us to really look at our lives and decide what's important, mm. you know? So the fact that you're creating these opportunities for go, for people to go and socialize with each other, with each other in healthy, positive ways, you're doing the right thing, bro. You're totally doing the right thing. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. And that's part of it as well as looking to the future because when we're building a community now online, I've made friends that I've never met before through, I've been doing like football quizzes. So I've got all these friends now like through a shared love of soccer for you, football, never met them before. Can't wait to meet up with them and have a, a beer with them. Even the, the, through the other quiz nights, I've got these friends there in D7 that I've never met before, things like that. So it's, when we get out of this, I'm excited. It's going to be fresh. It's going to be new. A lot of people have left, but that's what happens when you're an expat. So we'll look, We'll finish up there. I'm not going to bother asking the last couple of questions that I normally ask because I don't feel it's the right tone and I like that we're finishing on this note. But I do want to finish. Tell people where they can buy your pies. Tell. I wanted to ask as well why you make Jamaican pies if you're a Trinidadian Canadian. But so explain quickly, very quickly, okay. that, uh, where they can buy your pies and where they can find more information and what's next for you. Okay. So I, I am le- I am a dual citizen of Canada and Trinidad. My mom, in her infinite wisdom, made sure that I had my TNT passport as soon as I, she was able to get me one. Like that was the passport that I carried in my pocket everywhere in the world that I traveled until I had to come here. However, I was raised by a Jamaican, my stepfather, who raised me. He's Jamaican. I mean, my mom learned how to cook. It's where he cooked Jamaican food and Jamaican culture in Toronto is quite dom- it dominates the urban scene of, of Toronto. Yeah. So everybody in, in Toronto, from Toronto, you, doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. You know that Bathurst Subway, Warden Subway sells patties and people will get off the train, go and buy one and come back on the train and eat them. Right. <laughs> They're ubiquitous. Everybody went to school and had them sold at the cafeteria. They're sold at every corner shop. So they're just ubiquitous. They're part of the the culinary lexicon of my hometown. It's something that isn't being done here in earnest. There are a few people who've made some attempts, but they weren't concerted. And as someone who was hungry to share their culture, rather than going through the expense of opening a, a Caribbean restaurant, which ultimately is a goal, goal of mine. It just made a lot more sense. Just take one item that has a lot of a variety to it, a lot of flexibility and see what I can do with that. And it's worked out well. So we've got four varieties right now. We've got a spicy beef, mild beef, veggie or vegan and curried goat. And I've got about another four or five variants on the horizon. I hopefully will be, I can't say which one I'm in because I'm a bit waffling between which is the next one that I'm going to debut, but coming out of this, this lockdown, I kind of want to like gift the people with something new and I've imported the things that I need for it. So when it comes, it's going to be authentic and definitely something you're going to want to try. Nice. So what's the name and where can they find you? And I will put the link in the, the show description. Okay. So the, the, 
everybody says Caribe, which is the Vietnamese word for Caribbean. But the actual name of my company is Nhabe Caribe, Caribbean Kitchen. So you can find us on Instagram all at N-H-A-B-E-P-C-A-R-I-B-E. Caribe. No accents or anything. And uh, yeah. I'll put that link below as well in the show notes and description so people we're can all, just click it. We're also on Facebook. And you can search us there at Nyabet Caribe. Thank you so, so much. It's been so good Thanks to have you. Having. Thank you for having me. You are very, very welcome. Hopefully in, in a year's time, my baker name. We can do this together. <laughs> and remember, I have ordered me four pies for tomorrow. The spicy curry, the go, the go. Let end of the bro. Don't be yourself. And I only got the, the goat for me today. I haven't made any more yet. <laughs> but I ask you by the end, you can't get you. All right, man. Take it easy. Good night. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. We hope you enjoy hearing our guest stories. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and turn on notifications so you never miss a new episode. Thank you so much to our producer, Lewis Wright, for making sure the show sounds as good as possible for you. And also a big thanks to the 7 Million Bikes community members and everyone who supports us. Don't forget, if you haven't already, you can join the community today. The link is in the description and you'll get free event tickets, free 7 Million Bikes face mask and invites to special member events. Also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and I'm still ashamed to say this, TikTok. Most of all, if you can, please donate to Saigon Children's Charity or Blue Dragons Children Foundation's COVID appeals. Remember, we have six seasons of stories to share with you, so check them out if you haven't already, and we hope you can listen to future episodes too so you can laugh, connect, and discover. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. 
Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers. Cheers.